Obi, tell your young friend Skywalker, if he does not surrender, the slaves will be terminated in his name. Anakin, I'm glad to see you, but I'm afraid our host feels otherwise. Oh, you can't make everyone happy, Master. They're threatening to kill the slaves unless you surrender. It's good to see you're always ready to negotiate, but I've had enough bargaining with slave drivers. Anakin, you must realize this is a fight you cannot win alone. Who said I was alone? There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. The Star Wars binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I teach philosophy in Greeley, Colorado, and in Denver is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. That is true. This is the sound of my voice. How's it going, Mothershed? It is very, very warm. We are recording in the middle of summer 2021 which uh according to the new york times display of rainfall may be a catastrophic summer for uh your your favorite uh forest in the west yeah we uh we are basically living inside of a tennis a sweltering tennessee williams play right now oh you can't imagine the unspeakable things i've suffered the horror I doubt I'll ever really recover. <laughs> well, in good news, uh, our episode likewise is on a deserty kind of planet that's got a lot of smoke and uh, underground hellish landscapes. Perfect. I mean, we're ready for this sucker. I like when my art matches how unbearably <laughs> warm it is in real life. Well, we're picking up from last time. This is part two of our deep dive into the escape from Cadavo. Again, Season 4, Episode 13. We left off in a worthwhile spot. Anakin went to go find Ahsoka, and we cut to a scene above the city. And Ahsoka is encased in, like, this medieval torture cage, is what it reminded me of. Yeah. It's one of those places that, surrounded by, there's, like, gargoyles on it, these scavenger bird-looking things. It kind of made me think of the movie Time Bandits a little bit when when they get the the bandits at the kid all get captured and they're they're kind of just suspended in a cage at one yes. point. Yes, and it's kind of I mean it's dark all around them and they have no idea what's going on. But it, it definitely made me think of that. It's a good movie reference. I like that. I need to rewatch Time Bandits. We talked about this at some point that they're remaking. It's been about a year since, a year-ish since I've followed up on this, but last I had read was they were going to do a television series and Taika Waititi was involved somehow. That's a worthwhile introductory question. What three properties would you love to see remade or extended? Oh, wow. Time Time Bandits is a, is is one... I think would just be wonderful with contemporary CGI. Well, and because because it is in in the same way that I love Doctor Who, the the nice thing about a show with time travel is there are really endless possibilities for episodes because you're in a time machine. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. can go anywhere and meet anyone and have any circumstantial situation. And and that's 
kind of the awesome thing about Time Bandits. Like, you can go anywhere in time and steal. Yeah. Brilliant concept. Love it. And if you make the characters a little different, it's just a documentary on colonialism, but that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) I was reading something just this week about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark being just scorned and hated by actual archaeologists because of (laughs) (laughs) it's just thievery, (laughs) you know, taking these, these artifacts from indigenous people and moving them to some English museum somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> we are going to get a fifth uh, Indiana Jones here soon. Yeah, they've started. I saw I saw a set picture of somebody with their grandfather, uh, Harrison Ford. I'm sorry, <laughs> he, he actually didn't look that bad. I, no. I, I I had to make a terrible joke, but like I think we've talked about it on this podcast. Obviously, Harrison Ford being in Star Wars. Of course, we've talked about him. I still think he's great. Yeah, I agree. And I still love to see him in movies, and I will continue to go see him do. Oh, I didn't watch that weird Disney movie with him and the like CGI dog, sure. Wild, Wild, Call of the Wild, or yeah, whatever. for I, kids. Yeah, I missed that one. But <laughs> other than that, traditionally I'll watch Harrison Ford. It shows up in Blade Runner 2049. And was great. Shows up in some Rise of Skywalker was one of the best parts of that movie. It was an Anchorman 2. Now, let me look at you. Would it be wrong to say you smell terrific? Ron, please. Mr. Burgundy. Yes. You're fired. Come again? Fired. You are the worst anchor man I have ever seen. <laughs> right. Apparently he's a vegetarian and rides his bike 40 miles a, a day. Dude's, dude's on point. That guy can crash his own airplane and walk out of it. That's right. Disney would do great rebooting Indiana Jones and making and and using some contemporary ethics to you know, move those plots along. I yeah, that that's actually you want to talk about properties that I would love to see. Yep, maybe a television series of mm. where you didn't have to do a whole movie. I would actually love an Indiana Jones or Indiana Jones Universe television show. I gotta think on that. That property may be too valuable of all things to do TV to I give mean, it up. Yeah. I mean, just the central character there. But my answer on this is, and I heard they were going to do a prequel, is I just love to death the Master and Commander movie. Uh, with Oh, yeah, I saw that. Russell Crowe. The other day on the last week, it was bouncing around. I think the Nerdist, they were talking about a prequel. Yeah. Man, I got so jazzed about that. That, that movie is just amazing, and it just got crushed by Return of the King in the Oscars oh. that year. It was, it was that year that Lord of the Rings... It's a bad Rings year to release a movie. It just <laughs> won everything. Won everything. And that was such a good, beautiful movie. It made its money. There was no reason for them... They set it up for a sequel perfectly. I have no idea why they didn't pull the trigger on that. It's just an obvious go-to. Anyway, instead we got uh, 80 superhero films and... <laughs> Which I am not complaining about. <laughs> no, I suppose I shouldn't either. Because <laughs> um, it's all I watch. Could have added one English naval drama, though, to the mix, and it would have been amazing. Well, you got like what eight was, pirates. What was Russell Crowe doing? Uh, nothing that great. Exactly. He was free. He was doing Noah, which I guess in a way is a sequel to Master and Commander. <laughs> <laughs> I 
actually did like Noah. Did you watch Noah? I did. It, you know, on on the Facebook memories, it came up the other day that uh, that uh, I had I had briefly posted a review of Noah, where I was like, shockingly, not that bad. Which no, that was all apparently I thought of to say about it at the time. I have not watched it since it came out, and that's it. I watched it once, thought it was really good, and I even bought it and just haven't revisited it. Well, from my recollection, they kind of just made it a story about a guy and his family surviving a flood with a bunch of animals. It feels like they took out all of the like spiritual elements if I that, that you would expect to be in a story or in a movie about a story from the Bible. Yeah. There were rock terminators. That's all I remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's going to be... Uh, Russell Crowe is, is playing Zeus in God in Thor Love and Thunder. Oh. I didn't know this. I've, I've, I've That'll be very interesting. turned off all my spoilers on that one. Smart. Aside from the fact that it looks like uh, Padme Amidala is wielding the hammer. Yeah. That's, I'm very interested to see what that's going to look like. Worthy. She's apparently worthy. <laughs> Jane Foster. Jane Foster is back. Well, speaking of Star Wars. Uh, yeah, Natalie Portman. We're on, we're quasi on topic. Then we see Anakin on the back of R2-D2, flying past the cage, and he leaps on top. Ahsoka says, Well, hello, Master. Took you long enough. Well, I knew you had Anakin a nice view. himself above, force lifts the cage off its hinges, frees Ahsoka, throws the cage door to the side and Ahsoka pulls her collar off stands upright and this is a good moment it's again kind of that brother sister moment it's not it's not too it's not romantically affectionate but it's caring yes are you okay I sense a disturbance in the force it's Dooku I need you to get our ship here take this comm link where are you going the queen knows where Obi-Wan is hold on to that comm link and wait for my signal and then Anakin's off, and Ahsoka turns. Come on, R2. And we're rolling. A lot of pieces uh, in, in play here, though Obi-Wan's ens- enslaved, Ahsoka is in a cage, Anakin is clearly being manipulated and pulled into a place he doesn't want to be. It always feels like they're kind of in control, and when they want to make it go time, it's going to happen. Yeah, the they just have to turn it on. Yep. And we cut back to the throne room. We see Mirage. I have no desire to end Skywalker's life. He has become a valuable asset to me and my throne. Your compliance is not optional. I command you to kill Skywalker. I will not be ordered about in my own palace, Count. If you won't do my bidding, perhaps your prime minister will. Very, very uh, tropey Star Wars villain thing. The notion of like, well, if you won't do this, maybe some other loser here will. <laughs> right. Like, just that like, anybody? You want to sell your soul? I'm, I'm taking souls. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. We'll take it, take it for some Alf pogs. <laughs> that's, how, that's how little it matters. It's a deep cut Simpsons reference for, for those of you out there who care. Well, Mirage knows that she suddenly is in jeopardy of losing everything. Looks over to her right-hand man. A tie. What does he mean? I'm sorry, Your Majesty, but the Count is right. The Jedi should die. You're not fit to be queen any longer. A tie. You traitor. I'll make you both pay for this treachery. How? Yeah. Like, like... <laughs> 
I mean, and like like I said in our last episode, I I truly like I I, I fell for this character in this episode of, of of Mirage. I think she's a really compelling, wonderful character. But that's that moment where I'm like, yeah, like it's a cliche, but you and what army? What the hell are you gonna do? I'm making threats that I can't possibly back up. Yeah, like maybe her name is affecting herself. Maybe she <laughs> sees an opportunity that she doesn't actually have, but but bad news. That mirage is quickly snuffed away when Dooku picks her up with the force, begins choking her and lifting her off the ground. His eyes turn kind of a black. It's, it's a good look for this cartoon character. Yeah, very like menacing and, and, and shocking. Yeah dehumanized got some got some shark going on there yeah which correct me if i'm wrong i don't recall ever having seen this happen to a character before the a force wielder doing something that sort of oh changes their eyes changes their whole face changes their whole being kind of kind of goes into like a like yeah in the same way that like when storm and the x-men really uses her powers her whole pupils white out i don't recall seeing this in Star Wars before. Yeah, there there's some artistic touches. I think so here's a total aside. I think the show creators thought this arc was going to be much more popular than it was. When you look at lists of the best arcs in Clone Wars, this one seldom hits hard, but there are some beautiful moments. The battle at the end is wonderful. There are images when they're in the subterranean world where they're using weapons that, that glow blue, that really create this color brilliance in mm-hmm. here, just, just making the sound effects with the force and using Dooku in these very deliberate ways. And also just very compelling questions, which we, which we talk a lot about in the, the last episode, but yeah. just really compelling questions about what characters and I guess people in general are enslaved by and mm-hmm. owned by and controlled by. It just feels very like, feels very like philosophical and heady again for a children's cartoon. Yeah. I, and I think it's the case that, it, you know, if you watch the clone wars just all the way through, they pick their moments you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times they are making it, they're elevating it for the kids, as it were. But there's times where they want to say, okay, we're really going to do something that is different. And and now, especially when you look at Disney Plus and their list of, here are the episodes that everybody needs to see. It's all the stuff where they got more mature. Yes. Yeah, they they played a good long game of, of like, get people, get people enticed and then start really, really start saying some things. Yeah, as we've noted in the past it's a very harry potter way of moving everyone into deeper and deeper uh and then you can you can say some some high level stuff yeah dooku looking at her says punishment for a slave who disobeys anakin skywalker walks in the door that's enough dooku I see the queen has given you a long leash. One more step, and I will end her life. Anakin, really worthy, on-point retort, says, Why would you think I care about this slaver scum? And Dooku reads the situation immediately. Indeed. You know, touche. (laughs) Do you think he means that? 
I think he believes Anakin. Sorry, I mean, do you think Anakin believes what he's saying, or do you think that is the that is the kind of like go ahead, I don't care, like hoping that you'll you'll bluff the person out, like they oh yeah no they don't actually matter to me. I actually think that at this moment in time, he has seen this queen as as a slaver, and that's a deal killer for him. Mm. She's in love with him, and I think he's willing to just. I mean, he's already obviously he already has a wife. So it's n- oh that's right <laughs> yeah I forgot about that I just like I did in the last episode I guess maybe I'm trying to like will this into being a thing where I'm like there's just something there's just something about this relationship that I love <laughs> maybe I'm just trying to wish that it's the well we'll see this in a minute but Mirage sees much more of Anakin's dark side and in and how his enslaved past manipulates him than Padme does. That doesn't seem to be on Padme's radar in the same way. She seems to have very idealistic vision of Anakin. Yeah, not until it's way too late. Yeah. Well, a battle ensues. Dooku flashes his blade and can pulls a Zygerian whip from the floor. And we're going to see a whip versus sword. But unlike Harrison Ford, <laughs> Anakin doesn't have a revolver to pull out here. <laughs> Which is just, why would you think that that would work? Like, well, I've got this whip. Well, he's got a lightsaber. Kind of, I, I suppose if you had multiple whips, the, the, he got taken down in the in the last episode. Oh, that's true, by a bunch of guys. with. But yeah, I feel like you need to be surrounded. You can't be like one guy with a whip and like the other guy is a master yeah. Sith force wielder. We've already seen in Lost Ones that uh, Dooku can take out both Obi-Wan and Anakin, so... Yeah. Now you're, you're yeah. going in with... Uh, this is just not... This isn't a very good uh, strategy by Anakin. I, I, why, what is he actually trying to achieve here? Is he trying to be a distraction of sorts? Because, you know, you got Ahsoka in the plane and, and everything. Is he trying to yeah. hold Dooku's attention during this fight so then they can actually execute the mission that the whole point of this is save these people or yeah or is it just an impetuous impulsive kind of reckless dude who's like oh, i guess it's time to fight what's next to me i suppose i i never thought about that like what is he trying to do because it's not save the queen he just said why would i care about her see but and again i interpreted that as like a bluff yeah I, there's evidence that it's a bluff if you say that and that makes sense. I suppose that's the right, right way to read this. Maybe, maybe, maybe this. What we're learning is that this series is a Rorschach test for how you want to view the world. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> well, he attacks Dooku, who disarms him quickly and then electrocutes him. Guards arrive. Queen's on the floor. She was murdered by the Jedi. Disinformation used to gain power. And just such a, like, just own what you did. If you're that kind of a villain, like, just, it feels so, like, pathetic and cowardly. Like, whoa, gasp. <laughs> Something wrong was done by someone else who wasn't me. Anakin. Says the guy with the black eyes. Yeah. <laughs> the president of the Confederacy. This is not a person that lacks power. <laughs> yeah. What are they going to do to him? Anakin hits a button on his wrist. It alerts Ahsoka, who says to R2, That's our signal. Let's get going. Quick note, at this moment, I felt like 
Ashley Eckstein's voice changed and remains different. She has a voice that she can make sound younger. And over time, and this happens with Matt Latner as well, where they are developing over time and slowly changing their voice into more and more maturity. But this was one of those episodes where it felt like it started one place, ended another, and that it remained a more mature voice moving forward. Well, there's definitely some growing up stuff that happens, I would say, Mm -hmm. for her, I guess, and him in, in this. Cut back to Dooku, who says to the guards, Take your vengeance. Anakin picks up Mirage, springs to high platform in the throne room, then thrusts out a window, landing on the loading dock of the Takora, that large ship that they sailed in on, been used in the last episode. Ahsoka then pilots them away, and we see Anakin in a dark loading bay, looking over the queen. And this, this ends up being a very common posture in Star Wars with somebody holding... A dying person. Obi-Wan holding Qui-Gon is a case in point of this. Mm-hmm. It's that Pieta image that we see uh, in Michelangelo of, of Mary and uh, Jesus. We are holding this person dying, and, and there's last words that are going to be spoken. Well, see, and that's why I say if he actually truly did not give a crap, right? he would have left her. He would have gotten himself out of there and, and not tried to bring her to safety. Yeah. If he didn't care a little bit. Suppose it's the case that I'm maybe not giving Anakin enough credit or and also very uncharacteristic of me on this podcast and in my life to want <laughs> to want to give Anakin the credit of like being kind and 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 loving, but I my money's on that being the case. This might be the clue cuz he says to her your Highness. Giving her respect. No escape for any of us. Where is Obi-Wan? Tell me. That's what he wants. Oh, yeah. I don't know how I missed that. Uh, ditto. <laughs> oh, that's in the... I blew right past it. The Queen knows where Obi-Wan is. It's also interesting for her to say there's no escape for any of us because to me it's like as she's dying, she's accepting the fact that... <laughs> Everybody is enslaved to something, even though she's profusely denied that for two episodes. Yeah. No, she's going to have a big existential moment here. What a way to go. Godavo system. You were right, Skywalker. (laughs) I am a slave. Just as you are. (sighs) Could easily be put into Anakin's mouth as Anakin's dying words as well mm-hmm. he could easily say to luke you were right skywalker i'm a slave um perhaps not just as you are there but uh but certainly anakin well it's i, I really wanted to pause on this she's calling out his identity she sees exactly who he is in a way that padme doesn't perhaps in a way that obi-wan hasn't fully you know emotionally embraced i think that ahsoka can see parts of Anakin throughout this episode that are dark and she just doesn't um, recognize. It's like, oh, there, there's a different person here. And I, w- I didn't realize that person existed. Mm-hmm. But Mirage sees it immediately. Well, she seems uniquely suited to recognize those <laughs> things. Yeah. T- tell me why. Well, I mean, 
her entire life has been enslaving other people and observing what enslaved beings look, sound, and behave like. Yeah. And perhaps she sees that in the mirror as well. So it's seeing right. your own enslaved self in somebody else in the same kinds of ways. Because it's not clear that, like, Anakin's not a traditional slave, as it were. No, but I wonder if there's, like, an inherent emotional turmoil. Yeah. That there's some sort of recognition. So important to elevate this in the binge. It's not done in episode two, and really not done in episode three. But Anakin, as an enslaved man, in my mind, is the foundation of of Star Wars. It, like rescuing this human being from his slavery is all that the original trilogy is really about and you need to establish that in these episodes seem to me to be the place where it emotionally actually comes in and so obviously we spent five episodes on this arc that nobody really talks about and this is why it's because this is absolutely essential to what yeah. they're trying to communicate yeah it it gives you an insight into into his brain and his psyche. Yeah. Better than, I would say, better than any of the other ones. And this is also an important thing for us. It's not just this person on film who's wearing a dark outfit. The, the question for a lot of us is, can we escape the trauma of our youth? And we need other people's help. We need a family to come around us. Look, you're right. You're right about me. Tell your sister. You're right. Father. I won't leave you. It's, a, it's just a gorgeous story. And it seems to me that's very core to what the is at the heart of the filmmakers. And yeah. and also what it looks like if you if you are not fortunate enough to have people who can do that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and you're left alone. In that yeah, that season of loneliness for Anakin after episode three is absolute torture. One last just kind of callback here, very similar scene of Mirage being strangled and then dying to how Padme's gonna die. Oh, Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Both of them choked to death because of their perceived unloyalty uh, to a dark side user. Ugh. Yeah. Well, we cut to Mordor. Smoke rises from the Mountain of Doom. The hour grows late, and we're in for a rescue mission. We see guards throwing a Togruton into a basketball arena-sized holding cell along with 40 others. And we cut to the control room of the facility. Rex and Obi-Wan are disheveled and pushed inside. Agress, who is the large Zygarian slave master, is in command, and he says of a hologram, Someone wishes to speak with you. Obi-Wan Kenobi, in chains once again, I see. Good callback to Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Count Dooku, still afraid to get your hands dirty? I would gladly make an exception in your case, my friend. Except he doesn't, because he's a coward. I wanted to say a proper farewell before Keeper Argos puts you to death. Just so English. 
the whole the whole interaction. <laughs> we we have talked about how the banter uh, between these characters often goes into those James Bond places of mm-hmm. Britishly proper yet very dark. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but it sounds very polite. I prefer to call it an atomic device. It's small but particularly dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you expect me to talk? No, I expect you to die. It's <laughs> a good, it's a good Goldfinger line. That's so I want to just wildly backtrack. Uh-huh. Would you watch a James Bond television show? I was thinking about Absolutely. this a couple of days ago. I would, I would, I would watch a, like an hour long episodic James Bond series. Yeah, I'm a sucker for him. The Same. stuff, the stuff that they're doing with uh, Tom Clancy mm-hmm. recently on Amazon. Mm-hmm. The stuff with John Clark. Got some Michael B. Jordan. It's good stuff. I'm a huge fan of the Kingsman. It's it's trash. I realize it's trash, and I'm still a sucker. You know, that first one, I actually thought was an exceptional film. The yeah. second one, I felt like tried way too hard. And I'm very curious to see what the third one is going to be like when that's finally released. Yeah. Because it's a kind of a prequel. You want to, again, yep. to, to um, great cast. Yeah, with What's His Bucket, uh, who we talk about all the time. Man, this is rough. We are we are striking out today. Is it Ray Fiennes, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's like Ray Fiennes, but then um, Reese Ifans is also in it. Mm. It's like a Rasputin-looking character, and and very interested to see. Um, I always like Rasputin bad guys. That's a that's just a fun bad guy. Yeah. One of the best performances of, of Rasputin as a villain, in my opinion, was done by one Christopher Lloyd in the animated film Anastasia. Yeah, of course. Go, fulfill your dark purpose. Um, I, I generally like the Mission Impossible. Uh, I know that you're a huge uh, Tom Cruise fan. Ha, ha, ha. Yes. Yeah, big old fan. I've I've seen them all. I've seen every single one of those stupid movies because I like everybody else that's in. I think Simon Pegg is great. Right. Like Vanessa Kirby was in the the most recent one, and and because of The Crown, I absolutely adore her. So like I I watch them. Yep. That but that is going to be the interesting thing with this new James Bond film with with Lashana Lynch's character as the first female. 007. That's exactly the right way for them to go. Especially just to escape the misogynistic character. It's just time. They, they've they done so much with Daniel Craig to create a different kind of James Bond, yeah. which I really appreciate. But it's also time just to put that to bed and do something else. Well, and also bringing in Phoebe Waller-Bridge to do a rewrite of the script and sort mm. of make, make the female characters more like real people and worthwhile characters and... Add in a little bit more humor and also take out some of the really misogynistic elements as well. I think she's yeah. Fleabag is one of the most incredible television series I've ever seen. Um, Killing Eve is also exceptional, which is basically like if J- 007 was kind of a villain is, is yeah. how I feel about that show. So I'm very excited to see where that goes. Great trend right now in how things are being made is bringing in female editors on scripts. Ryan Coogler did a lot of that with Black Panther and you can tell. The depth of the female characters there is I mean there's yeah. there's countless films, but that's a good pop culture billion dollar movie that would be, you know, just an example of 
this works. Do it all the time. You guys. Well, to keep it in universe, Carrie Fisher used to, that was the big part of her job in the latter parts of her career. She got hired to come in and do not, not edits, but like rewrites on scripts and, and like joke punch ups. Yeah. Cause she was a genius. Truth. Good call. All that Dooku stuff, just to go back to the episode, comes from, in part, there's a lot of motive here, and there's a lot of emotion in between these two characters, because Dooku is the master of Qui-Gon, and Qui-Gon was obviously the master of Obi-Wan, and Dooku would love to bring Obi-Wan in, and so there's that side story, and we see it in Attack of the Clones, and Dooku's desire to take Obi-Wan on as his new apprentice and I think that underlies a lot of the threat here, the emotion here, the I'm treating you with respect verbally, and yet you have oh, yeah. rejected my offer. It's a very personal rejection, and I'm moving on, you know? Yeah. and But it also feel like it shows the actual disregard that the Sith has for people's lives, because it's, yes. I'm interested in you up to a point, but the... The second you've rejected my offer, then you're not worthy to keep alive. So it's like, how actually important is this human being if you can go from, man, you're the thing that I want the most, to, eh, well, screw you. Other than junior high relationships, <laughs> I, that does not actually happen in, in worthwhile situations. It does seem like a very villainous thing to do. You will become my servant or I'll kill you, but I think your rejection is really about me, you know, and my inability to sway you towards the dark yeah. path. And so I'm going to just take it out on you. So you're gonna, I, I just feel like it also betrays the fact that so many like villains and stories are really just wildly insecure people. Yeah, I think that. That's fearful and insecure people. Not, and that's not a condemnation of people who wrestle with insecurity by any means. Because I mean, hello, me, but like all of us, really. But like, it is just interesting that that unchecked and without. We kind of said it with with Anakin. Funnily enough, like when you're wrestling with the things he's wrestling with, when you don't have friends, family, and community to come around you and help you, like when you are wrestling with the, I think I'm insignificant, and therefore I'm gonna hurt a bunch of people. <laughs> You don't have people to be like, hey, maybe don't do that. We like right. you just fine. What, what do you got to enslave all these people for? Got to establish some villainous motives somewhere. <laughs> That's true. It's an easy go-to, maybe. <laughs> right. Make a bunch of other people feel sorry for the rest of their lives. And if somebody had just said, look, Mitch, there are plenty of other things you can do. If only that guy's dad had given him a hug, we wouldn't all be in this place. <laughs> So then we see the Takora coming out of hyperspace and arriving at the industrial site. Anakin, Ahsoka, and R2 run out. A guard turns and says, Keeper, the slave ship Takora is making an unscheduled landing on platform 2-4. Skywalker. And cannons from above the landing pad begin firing on the ship. Ship explodes as Anakin and Ahsoka find themselves running from it and in front of a large door. So much for our ride home. What now? We get through the old-fashioned way. Real similar scene here to Return of the Jedi. I don't know if... There's so much Return of the Jedi in this arc, but... You know? Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Tan trying to hotwire the door. Here, just Anakin just decides to cut through it with a saber. Which is very Phantom Menace as well. That was actually what I thought of when Truth. they cut through the blast doors. Yep. That there is the old-fashioned way. Dooku says... Kenobi, tell your young friend Skywalker if he does not surrender, the slaves will be terminated in his name. And then a video of Obi-Wan appears on the screen above Ahsoka and Anakin. Anakin, I'm glad to see you, but I'm afraid our host feels otherwise. Oh, you can't make everyone happy, Master. <laughs> I, th- I thought that was a good, a good joke. It's true. Like the philosopher Mick Jagger said, can't always get what you want. <laughs> it's all about desire, kids. <laughs> They're threatening to kill the slaves unless you surrender. It's good to see you're always ready to negotiate, but I've had enough bargaining with slave drivers. I think that's exactly the right play. I think Obi-Wan thinks it's the wrong play, but uh, what is it? You don't negotiate with terrorists, you know? You re- you it, reject manipulation every single time. It It is interesting because I, I guess I would argue that maybe they're both technically not wrong because Obi-Wan mm. Kenobi has seen what actually happened. Like, these guys are not afraid to just wipe out life. Yeah. And that is not good. And if you're meant to be rescuing people... You know, not getting the people that you're rescuing murdered is wise. So that is not wrong. Right. But also, it's like, well, you got to at least try to rescue them. <laughs> Otherwise, everybody's enslaved at that point. True. There's a problem in Western culture about masters and slaves and that masters, if, if you create this sort of state of affairs where you actually enslave people, the master themselves becomes a slave. You see this in The Matrix. They, there's a, a very awkward conversation about how um, <laughs> the people are in charge of machines, and the retort is something like, we are so dependent on the machines that are we not the ones who are enslaved to them? Down here, sometimes I think about all those people still plugged into The Matrix, and when I look at these machines... I- I can't help thinking that in a way we are plugged into them. But we control these machines. They don't control us. Of course not. How could they? The idea is pure nonsense, but it does make one wonder just what is control? If we wanted, we could shut these machines down. (laughs) That's it. You hit it. That's control, isn't it? If we wanted, we could smash them to bits. Although if we did, we'd have to consider what would happen to our lights, our heat, our air. So we need machines and they need us. Is that your point, Counselor? No. No point. And any time that power dynamics rise up like this, that becomes an issue. So this is one of the principal ways that Gandhi leads the revolution both in South Africa and in India, but India especially, it's we are simply going to stop working. You don't think we're just going to walk out of India? Yes. In the end, you will walk out because 100,000 Englishmen simply cannot control 350 million Indians if those Indians refuse to cooperate. And that is what we intend to achieve. Peaceful, non-violent, non-cooperation, till you yourself see the wisdom of leaving 
Your Excellency. The quickest way out of slavery is simply to pair up with some other folks, resist. It may take, you know, violence may ensue. You know, you may suffer, your kids may suffer, but the system will break either way because the master cannot dispose of the slaves. They, they use their power either to change or they destroy themselves in, at the same moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they are the ones enslaved. That's a big part of this, I think. You know, It's not just that Mirage is a slave to Dooku. She's a slave to her slaves. She cannot... She, uh, stuck on a desert island, she would have no capacity for survival because she's never learned how to survive. Right, yeah. No, that's true. Anyway, thank you for my... my uh, philosophical meander there Go ahead. no i thought that was i think thought that was super interesting <laughs> anakin i think for for i think you're right in saying both of them are advocating for principles that are in theory moral obi-wan is protecting the lives of human beings anakin saying we need to destroy this system and perhaps at great cost to ourselves yeah but but i guess doing something is better than nothing also kind of feels like the I hate to say message because I don't think this show is supposed to this. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's like we're not teaching a lesson. We're telling a story, but it does feel like, well, we got to do something. We obviously know this, you and I, that Anakin does have an ace up his sleeve. Yes. And so when Obi-Wan says, Anakin, you must realize this is a fight you cannot win alone. Who said I was alone? Bang! We see a large Republic starship arriving at hyperspace above the planet. Music turns and Plo Koon is leading the wolf pack and four gunships to the planet's surface. Real similar in my mind here to the end of Abrams' Star Trek, where, yep. you know what I mean there? Mm-hmm. Gets me every time. I know exactly what's going to happen. And the music is building and Spock's going to get, you know, apparently impaled by 80 missiles coming at him. <laughs> If the ship is hit, the red matter will be ignited. Understood. And then all of a sudden, the, the Enterprise comes out of hyperspace, starts firing missiles, and saves the day. Yeah, anytime that happens in a, in, in, a, in a film, I get super excited, even if the movie's not actually that great. Like, if right. there is a moment where it's like, well, you're on your own, and what can you do? And then suddenly it's like, well, I'm not actually alone. And then, boom, like, there's just something about that I really love. I suppose... I've only seen the movie once, but uh, it feels like that's, I recall that's what happens at the end of Rise of Skywalker. That whole fleet comes out. It is. It yeah. is. And as much as I did not, again, to, to just to further prove my point, as much as I don't actually love that particular film, that moment got me super excited. Yeah. I'm sorry. Dunkirkish on that one. I thought we had a shot. But there are more of us, Poe. There are more of us. Yeah, just when you think that there's no hope. Look at this. Look at this. It's just like Stephen Sondheim said, no one is alone, truly. No one is alone. That's a good emotional phrase. That's worth. Dude, go listen to that song sometime. Yeah, like it's it's it came through on my on my shuffle on on a, a, 
just listening to music the other day and it was like it had just been like almost exclusively like rock and roll pop music and then suddenly this song plays and i was like oh god (laughs) (laughs) it just hit like a bus pushed you right in the pool it did no pun intended thank god i was alone (laughs) nobody had to see that happen (laughs) (laughs) the guard says keeper a fleet of warships has dropped out of hyperspace in Sector 6. Jedi reinforcements. And we see Plo Koon above. He says, Wolf fleet is a wolf pack. Accelerate to attack speed. Warthog, who has the best clone name in all of Star Wars. This is Warthog. We're going in. That's pretty good. And as you will know, he is flying the new Z-95 starship. Very sleek. First appearance for us in the binge, evolutionary ancestor of the X-Wing. Mm-hmm. Inside Obi-Wan, who has been incredibly patient for two full episodes, pulls the collar off his companion's neck and yells, Rex, now! About time. <laughs> this is a real common Star Wars action scene to end a movie and to end an arc. Yeah. There is the battle above with the fighters and there's a battle inside some sort of control room. And 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 this is actually a thing Star Wars, I think all Star Wars does really well. It's able to jump back and forth between all of them in a way that doesn't feel disorienting or irritate you. Yeah. Because, you know, some, some movies where there's two, two, three different things happening and they jump back and forth, it's frustrating because you want to stay with one particular thing. But Star Wars, across the board, even in the lesser films and stories, I think always does this exceptionally well. Agreed. We see Plo Koon flying above the facility. Those towers are ray-shielded. Ahsoka from below. I hope you told Master Plo not to destroy this facility before we get off of it. <laughs> That, that's a good idea. Did did you remember the passports? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do have tickets, don't you? Oh. Ah, dang it. Can't just get those day of. <laughs> yeah. All of us and the slaves. We'll need a bigger ship. Great Jaws line. Love all the Spielberg that they throw in here. It just mm-hmm. makes my day every time. So There's also the Anakin as liberator image here. And in some ways, I, I, I wonder if we see another higher point for this character. I'm trying to think through the future episodes, but he's Moses in this moment. Mm. He is in danger. He may die. He, it's very clear that, that the facility is going to be destroyed. There's a, there, there's a countdown, you know? Yeah. There's the epic heroic thing. He's clearly going to save Obi-Wan at the beginning of episode three. There's that sort of, you know, action. But I don't know. It may be the case. Just put a pin in it. This may be Anakin Skywalker at his absolute high point, saving a nation of enslaved people. I think in this arc, you get to see him at a really low point when he's force choking and and harming the queen for his own benefit. Mm, Yeah. And then there's also this moment. So, yeah, I think you get. Did he choke her? Yeah, in the episode prior to this one, he does. Right, there you go. That's right. So in in this kind of run of episodes, I think you get to see him both at his worst and at his best. There you go. That's it. You got to do that with this character, though. You can't. 
Oh yeah, because you got to push him to the point of becoming Darth Vader. Yeah. So if he just has these like badass redeeming moments, you're like, wait, what? But yeah, if you see, <laughs> if you get little glimpses under the hood of of like why some of that other stuff is there, it's yep. it's uh, it's pretty smart. Can't turn on a dime. We want to talk about another Return of the Jedi rhyme in which now the heroes on the ground have to dismantle the shields so the fighters above can uh, attack a Sith battle station. Mm-hmm. Oh, we see that a couple times. The shield is down. Commence attack on the Death Star's red reactor. We're on our way. Red group, gold group, all fighters follow me. <laughs> Told you they'd do it. <laughs> Anakin and Ahsoka bust in. Anakin runs at the guards rounding the corner. Now here's the here's a moment, and I teased this in our last episode. Anakin comes in, he cuts two Zygarians in half, and then he impales a third who dies slowly on his blade. And R2 and Ahsoka are following behind him. And just excellent touch here, which it's one of those moments that may come across too subtly. Ahsoka shakes her head disapprovingly, and then looks down, then takes a side breath and keeps moving as R2 makes this kind of sound like, well, that wasn't optimal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I bring this up because in an earlier scene in this episode, Anakin chucks the exact same sort of person off a ledge, but aims him into the marketplace where he's going to land and not be killed. Right. That's not, This is no longer where he's at. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> and I suppose that goes back to what he said to Obi-Wan. I've had enough bargaining with slave drivers. Yeah, he's clearly just fed up and ready to, ready to get this wrapped up. Is there a hallway somewhere? Oh, here's one. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is, by the way, this is Anakin in a hallway. I didn't put that mm-hmm. together. <laughs> I'm going to put some... I'm going to put some... Uh, Rogue One music behind this sucker. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's going to be good. Well, we cut back to Plo Koon and fighters above the city who are now engaged by the Zygarians. They come in behind Warthog, who says, ah, Catching too much heat. It's because your name is Warthog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that not? <laughs> it's a kid show. Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> and Plo Koon, who has seen Top Gun 582 times, turns to his co-pilot... All seven cut the engines. The ship breaks, comes in behind the two Zygerian fighters. She's one from behind. Yeah, that Good work, General. Keep your focus, Warthog. Watch out for those towers. Solid. Yeah, just enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Spy of the Way is not R7 from the Siege of Mandalore arc. That would be R7A7. As everyone knows. This one is R7D4. Got to keep your astromach droids straight. Because they are all individuals with personalities and souls, so yes, you should. <laughs> we have yet to say that, and I feel like we've said that in almost every episode, so I just felt it seemed appropriate. It's it's our version of, I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We then see the towers firing on the Republic fighters. We see one very violent image, which I talked about last time, when a pilot turns to look at the tower in a very Godfather-like the window suddenly shatters with a bullet fire where his head was, and his gunship just goes right into the ground. And I was like, whoa! Yeah, that's... He might be okay. <laughs> I love that special effect where it's just implied violence, but you're still like, ugh, 
Yeah, no, you know exactly what happened to that guy. Dead. Chrissy just went under the water. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Cut to inside and a hand fight between Rex, Obi-Wan, and the guards, and we see Aggress arming some kind of weapon. Cut to the large holding cell of the Togrudas. The walls suddenly electrify. Apparently the Togrudas will have a difficult time getting out, and we see Rex battling a guard who he stabs through the stomach with a spear, and Aggress opening the cell floor of the Togruda over this vast chasm underneath the facility. Aggress then very violently just stabs the hell out of the computer. Yeah. Talk about, yeah, very much to just, I I assume, just disable it so they can't undo what he did. Unreversible. Then he jumps back in his flying chair. Obi-Wan runs to the damaged computer and he says into his comm, The controls are destroyed, Master Plo. There's nothing we can do from here. I cannot move the cruiser in for the rescue operation until those enemy cannons are destroyed. And then from inside, We'll take care of those cannons. Make sure that cruiser gets down here. We are running out of time. I'm going to go help my people. I'll see if I can buy us some time. Good luck. Which is interesting. This is, I think, the first time she's really said my people because it seemed like she's had a very, like, arm's length attitude towards them up until now. That's the thing that hit me as well, is the detachment of the Jedi is very much there for Ahsoka and her people. And... I, I wonder how much you could read into that. At some point, I bet you they're going to give some backstory to her coming into the Jedi Order and what that looked like. Uh, she's so important now that, I mean, I could see that being yeah. a flashback or something. This felt like she's opening up her heart slightly to people she doesn't know, but who are clearly, you know, her people. But is clearly connected to. Yeah. I'm meeting you for the first time, my biological mother kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good moment. So subtle, and it's so quick, but not lost. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's exactly. just, it's such, it's not lost on anybody, but they do it. It just, it's just done well. Huge pet peeve of mine is when people are way too explicit with the artwork. Oh, yeah. And, and they don't make that mistake. Yeah, it's not heavy-handed at all. Rex headbutts a final guard and takes a breath. Then a door opens behind him. Incoming! And a handful of new guards come in and begin blasting at Obi-Wan. We see Ahsoka find the holding cell of the Togrutans. Bursts in and begins analyzing the situation. This took me a minute. I was like, she just walked in through a door. Why don't they just go back out the door? (laughs) And this was clever. She actually force jumps across the opening. And that's how she gets to where they are. And so now she is identifying herself with her people who are in peril. And they obviously can't force jump. Force jump, yeah. And so she's looking for options. And a fellow Togruton looks at her and he simply says, A Jedi. (laughs) This is actually important. That is an honoring title. And she's not a Jedi. She's still a Padawan. So she hasn't taken the trials. And that's actually a big part of her story, Mm -hmm. Um, her moving through life and her identification with the with the order is huge for this character. It's actually one of the really surprising things that happens in Mandalorian two, season two is the episode that she appears in is called the Jedi. 
and I don't know if it's referring to her. I assume that they think it's referring to her. It may be referring to Grogu. It may be referring. I don't know what. Yeah, but it? if he's not a Jedi either, yeah. At that point, you know, at that point, he's not. At least, I mean, yeah. Who knows? And so, for listeners who are familiar with Star Wars animated, both the end of the Clone Wars and all the story in Rebels, they'll know that this is a big thing with Ahsoka. Is is she a Jedi? Is she not a Jedi? How do you how do you wrestle with that? Yeah, do you need the piece of paper, quote unquote, equivalent of a graduation to say that you're that, or is it you've really, you really have put in the time and lived the life and had the experiences? Yeah, is that what makes you the thing? Yeah, probably. This will be an interesting element because I don't think anyone thinks she hasn't earned it. It may be the case that she is rejecting it. And that that'll be that'll be some of the elements because as you'll know, there's all sorts of things worth critiquing in the Jedi tradition. It's also yep. the case that there, you know, as we've talked about in the past, is she is essentially a, a priest being raised up in the Catholic Church who's going to walk away. It could be a metaphor for for how her movement goes. And so, if somebody mm-hmm. says you are my priest, and she says I'm, you know, that's not who. That's not the tradition I'm part of. Yeah, that's that's not the life I want. But if she, but imagine this: imagine that she's that young person who's studying, and she's going to her people who are enslaved, and they look at her and say, "You're our priest, or you're our knight, or you know, you are the you're a Jedi." Ah, it's just got that. I love that. It's, it's, there's 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 a lot of weight going back and forth, and and identity issues, and just right here, very clean. She has arrived in a in a way. Yeah, you, we don't get to choose. We don't get to choose how and if we matter to people, mm-hmm. and the 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 weight we have in their lives Correct. necessarily. Yep, that's a great way to put it. Or in how they see us, and and perhaps if they want to honor us with high regard and high titles. Yeah. That being said, I'm open to anything. So if people want to just lavish me with praise and, and uh, you know, happy to have it. I see this in my wife's life a lot. I mean, just as secondary. She's called Dr. Cook all the time. She teaches at, at a university. She, she has almost two decades of experience in education, but she doesn't have a Ph.D. But that don't matter, those kids. Oh, that's right. That's, that's true. She's in the, I was going to go with that for a minute. I was like, wait, but isn't... <laughs> yeah. no, That's absolutely true. <laughs> she, she's put in all the time and work, uh, but she hasn't written a dissertation or done you know, the extra whatever it is, 30 hours of coursework. But, right. but it doesn't matter to the students who look at her and say, you've been so meaningful in my movement from here to there and call her by a regal, you know, an, uh, uh, an honoring title. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, done the work and paid for the piece of paper, I guess, are two different things. And it feels like I'm, like, running down a higher education, and I'm totally not. But Because it it is worthy and valuable, obviously. But it it is interesting of, like, if you're going to do the work, aren't you the thing? Even if you don't have the piece of paper. I mean, to, to like, somebody, like, a medical doctor, I don't want somebody who's, like, I've read me a whole bunch of medical textbooks. Let's get that, let's get that gallbladder out. I'm like, no, thanks. But... And this will be interesting when we get to the original trilogy because is Luke a Jedi? Does Luke never goes through the Jedi trials or whatever like that would be 
normal. And in fact, one Darth Vader says over him, the force is strong with you, young Skywalker, but you're not a Jedi yet. But what does that even mean? Because at that point, like, <laughs> there's no Jedi. Yeah. Like, most of them have been exterminated and wiped out by Darth Vader. So what, like, by that logic, nobody can be a Jedi? I'll have to look but, that up. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, if, if Yoda wanted to, you know, take a sword out and hit it once on each shoulder and say, all right, <laughs> rise, Sir Skywalker. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't know how that works. But get himself a, an OJE, an Order of the Jedi Empire. I mean, the of all the shorthand is that Yoda says you must face Darth Vader again. Not yet. One thing remains. Vader. You must confront Vader. Then, only then, a Jedi will you be. And confront him. Which seems like a that's a that's a strange way to maybe you have to face two trials or you know I I don't know how that works I'll have to look I mean it's three to be a pope I think or a <laughs> saint so I guess sure you gotta get the right three, three miracles, miracles isn't that yeah so. <laughs> but also face is really ambiguous it's like could you get your ass kicked by him and still be a Jedi or is it like face and be successful. Right, because he's two. He's he's two for three on successful fights with Darth Vader. Yeah, just because one was in a spacecraft. Come on. Yeah. Well, we then see Anakin very angry burst in to one of the towers, impales two guards, sits down and starts firing at the other towers. Real similar to uh, what we see from Maul in Siege of Mandalore, where he begins controlling mm -hmm. clones and having them shoot one another. Here the he's shooting the towers. I don't know why that hit me that way, but that's what I thought of in terms of he's riding that line of really using anger to get what he wants. And obviously in that in this universe, that's a huge thing. He then says, "You're all clear, Master Plo. Bring the cruiser down to the landing pad." Well, I'm just I'm still stuck on that. Yeah, it, it seems like uh, it's the ends justify the means for him a little bit. Whereas most people would be like, "I'm not gonna go there to get." the outcome that I want, whereas with Anakin, it just feels very much like the object, the primary objective is all that matters, and whatever you have to do to get there is what's important. I think that's exactly right. Obi-Wan the idealist, I don't think, is going to achieve the ends that Anakin wants. And uh, Yoda the idealist isn't going to achieve those ends. I don't know that Yoda's an idealist, but when in episode three, when Yoda tells Anakin to simply embrace the death of his loved ones and not to grieve them that's that's the course and and Anakin's like nope right i mean i suppose a lot of his path ends up being that the ends he pursues are worthy and the means are so toxic they poison him forever and destroy everything that he loved so yeah, it, it matters how you end up somewhere <laughs> you know you can drive on the road or you can drive <laughs> off-road and destroy your vehicle you might get there but like where are you gonna go after that i really want a marginal tax rate of 19 percent. all i have to do <laughs> is take over a capital to to achieve it <laughs> my is a hypothetical i mean it's a, obviously who needs democracy anyway <laughs> what has it ever done for us <laughs> 
Ahsoka comes in. Cancel that order, Master. There's no way to get the people out of the holding cell and up to the landing platform. But I have an idea. We need to have the cruiser move in underneath the facility. We can escape onto the ship if Admiral Coburn can get in close enough. And Daniel? You will know that that would be one Barton Coburn, who has essentially the same position under Plo Koon that Ularen has under Obi-Wan. Yes. And if you're looking for <laughs> good, upright British Star Wars names, I think you could do worse than Barton. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely could. I don't know that this character appears very, very often. Looks like a, I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah. But he turns to his force and says, You heard Commander Tano. I want the men topside with rocket packs and cable guns. Move it! Yes, sir! It's like, good for that. He's the most efficient guy we've met <laughs> so far. Like, he's ready to rock. <laughs> good you, job, Barton. Have you not gotten a promotion, Barton? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> he showed up prepared. We then cut back to the control room. Obi-Wan and Rex have dispatched all the guards. Kenobi then pulls his lightsaber from the hand of Agras, who laughs and says, Come now, Master Kenobi. I know a Jedi won't kill an unarmed man. This this makes me just, you know, this made me think of when I watched it. It's Tell just me. the moment in, because um, I, I think he's a little afraid, and that and that feels like a last, you know, the last act of a desperate man, but it kind of made me think of... Um, in the in Tim Burton's first Batman movie, when when the Joker Jack Nicholson's Joker is just getting wailed on by Batman and is trying to like yes. quickly talk himself out of a corner, it's like, hey, come on, man! Like, you know, I said you made me, you say I made you. Like, how childish! Kid? And then puts on those glasses yeah. and goes, "You wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you?" Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> he just gets the crap kicked out of him. It's spot on. This is also similar to what Mirage did. She has no cards to play. And she's like, I will destroy all of you. Yeah, no. so she's just trying to, to it's like a bird <laughs> puffing itself up to look more threatening. Get choked to death and set aside, which is essentially what happens here. Kenobi looks to his right, nods at Rex. You know, if you want to go that way. Rex throws a spear across the room into Agress's stomach. I'm no Jedi. That was a moment for me where I was like, oh, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> this is a children's show. I'll murder you for fun. Agress flies headfirst into a large monitor, and which begins to sizzle just to give you a little extra love there. Yeah. <laughs> real quick, Pretty gnarly. Real quick moral question. If I nod to my friend to kill somebody, am I not the one who is actually the one killing them? Hey, henchman J, uh, would... <laughs> Well, why, don't, why don't you take out Alfred here? He's, he seems to be a little confused. I mean, this is not a this is not a court of law, <laughs> so nothing I say should be taken as actual medical or medical. Good lord, nothing I sh- say should actually be taken as legal counsel. So, I guess maybe. I imagine you you definitely get a couple years for the nod to. Well, <laughs> aiding and abetting in the murder of somebody, yeah, that's a thing. Again. Don't come to this podcast for proper legal <laughs> advice, but based off of the exorbitant amount of Matlock I've watched. I imagine that your henchman would just say, the boss told me to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the he told me to do it defense. Another really important pause here is that uh, I asked you this before. Do you have a favorite Star Wars line? 
and we haven't gotten there yet in terms of the binge, but in all of Star Wars, this is my favorite Star Wars line. Not here, but it appears somewhere else. I am no Jedi. And it is just captivating. And I'm so thrilled that, like, watching this, I was like, oh, there's the thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite, uh, do you have a favorite all-time Star Wars line? Oh, man. Um, there's one that I, there's ones that I think often, just in my daily life, that just pop into my head, like, as I'm just doing menial, unimportant tasks. Mm -hmm. Like, for whatever reason, Harrison Ford saying, who's scruffy looking? Like, I think about that all the time. All of mine seem to come from Empire Strikes Back, with the exception of this one. So for those of you who, who know what I'm talking about, the I'm no Jedi line ends up just being epic. It, in fact, in the commentary for this episode, Dave Filoni kind of goes out of his way to very intentionally let us know that he was the one that wrote this line. And I'm just earmarking that as as a point of real I found it really interesting because I think what it communicates isn't hey wasn't that a good whiz bang joke at the end of this episode I think he's saying that because he knows he's going to use it at the end of an epic season sometime in the future mm. and he's just letting everybody know that just you know when the tape is rewound my trademark my copyright <laughs> is firmly yeah. planted so you heard it here first so I think my favorite, so you know, my favorite Star Wars line actually is, is when Han Solo says, never tell me the odds. Ooh, see all, all that empire stuff, man. That's it. Yeah. It, it's as somebody who likes to do a lot of things that, that a lot of people have thought this is a terrible idea and it's never going to work. There's just something that I very much relate to the thing of like, no, never tell me the odds. Like, I, <laughs> I think this is a good idea and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I've seen a handful of great Star Wars tattoos that have that <laughs> oh <shit. laughs> just in case you're looking for an idea friends well i was thinking back to you and i's conversation about star wars tattoos what like a month ago yeah come on stuff to ponder if only we knew a the best tattoo artist in northern colorado <laughs> she's ready to put down some ink well we see gunships flying in they push in under the city as the tergrutans look down clones sprint out and fire cables into the cell for the tergrutans to slide down Okay, everyone, get ready. We'll have to go by groups. We see Rex and Kenobi and Anakin running out, and Tegruton sliding down the wires. One of them slips and falls, and Ahsoka, Superman-like, quickly jumps off the ledge, gets underneath her somehow. The Force, that's how, Jeff. Come that's on. <laughs> Don't you know what universe you're in? Yeah, this is a Star Wars movie. <laughs> we then see Rex and Kenobi and Anakin running out. Actually, her catching a woman, I thought was an interesting touch. That's not... It's not very common in film that you see physically a female superpowered inner individual. Oh yeah, catching it's it's all Superman in my mind. I, you just I don't think you see that very often. So no, just Wonder Woman. Does Wonder Woman save another female in this way? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I need to go back to those movies. It's done in a movie I wouldn't recommend watching. But <laughs> is it in the? I stopped that movie. After Act One. Of 1984? Yeah. My God, it was bad. Okay. <laughs> well, that, I mean, there you go. I don't know that they will go down these roads, but making Ahsoka 
either an asexual character or a bisexual character is clearly an option for them and would would fit entirely with her story arc journey personality yeah oh that'd be super interesting My, they just did a similar thing with loki in in uh in the huh? disney plus loki series and based off your reaction you have not seen it so i'm gonna stop talking oh it's first <laughs> I've, i love the first 20 minutes yeah um and then i fell asleep <laughs> oh no that's the same thing happened to me i had to watch it twice and it wasn't a commentary on the content of the show yeah. i i tried to watch it after a very long yeah. I watched it on Saturday after a very long Friday which I'm which I'm You and I were at the same party. <laughs> I was going to say I'm sure it's your experience as well. <laughs> <clears throat> so a handful more Togrutens fall and need to be caught by clone soldiers. And they all get to the top of the cruiser and the clone says, "That's everyone. We have to go. The facility's breaking up." Anakin from in the gunship says, Okay, Master Blow, the cruiser is clear. All gunships, fire! We see the battalion take down the facility, which falls into the cavern below. Very epic. Yeah, and very Star Wars. That's right. We see this kind of image at the end of Lord of the Rings with Baradur falling apart. We see it, I suppose, what, episode one? There's an, The facility's blown up. Um, yeah. New Hope, the facility's blown up. Uh, Return of the Jedi, the facility's blown up. Rogue One, the facility's blown up. Yeah, you get to you get to walk away from the thing. The thing is in flames, and you get to walk away from it. Yeah, it makes me think a little bit. I mean, it's at the beginning of the movie, but it makes me think of Harley Quinn blowing up excess chemicals, and then just sort of walking away from it in Birds of Prey, sure. as it, you know, to signify I'm not, I'm no longer connected to this guy mm. who who is associated with this place. Powerful freedom, if you will. I mean, sort of, sort of the freedom from the sort of uh, uh, possession slavery that, that the character of the Joker has over her. Of all things, we've mentioned this in the past. On that front, it's Forrest Gump bulldozing Jenny's childhood home as a symbol. Oh. You know, I mean, it's sometimes you just gotta lay waste to the place of bondage it's the end of uh amistad i suppose on that front it's an there's an epic scene at the end of amistad where the british navy comes in and blows apart a facility that had been used to traffic enslaved people and it's just beautifully shot and very cathartic yeah i should god it's been a minute since i've watched that movie i should that deserves a rewatch under appreciated Love the hell out. There's two the two scenes, the calling on your ancestors scene from Sinke, and then you know the John Adams speech at the end just crushed me. Killer Killer Hopkins performance too. Anthony Hopkins is very. Oh, we talked about him last episode. I think it's alongside droids have souls. We we need to give <laughs> some love to Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. Because if we're not going to, who is? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Really great performance. Hasn't he played both John Adams and John Quincy Adams? Isn't he one of the few guys who's played? Oh, I might be wrong about that. I know. Uh, what's his bucket? The Italian actor played him in the HBO drama. Oh yeah, Paul Giamatti. Yeah. God, that's I. I went through a period of time where I recommended that to everybody I knew. It's wonderful. We're just like watch the HBO. Uh, Spielberg produced John Adams. Like, there's not not only is Paul Giamatti excellent, uh, well, no, Laura Linney's great yeah. as Abigail. Yeah, Laura Linney is ph phenomenal in that. 
Tom Wilkinson is an exceptional Benjamin Franklin mm. in that show. Yep. Um, yeah, of all people, Jefferson is. Uh, yeah, Stannis. Stannis yeah. Baratheon. Yeah. Well, then of all people, like David Morse, who always plays like yeah cops, is is a great George Washington. Very believable. All of that. Yeah. You pair that watching that watching uh, Hamilton gives you kind of a bunch of different angles. Hamilton in in the John Adams uh, movie comes across. Very differently <laughs> than Lin Manuel Miranda's. Than how he is portrayed in Lin Manuel Miranda's take on it. Yeah, uh, and presumably, I have not read the massive, massive book I did. that uh, Ron Chernow. Oh, have you Chernow's oh, Hamilton? Book? I thought I thought you were going to say John Adams. Uh, I read uh, no McCullough. Yeah, I've read the David John McCullough, John Adams, yeah. and 1776. I I love both those books. No, mm-hmm. I have not read the uh, Ron Chernow biography on hamilton which lin-manuel miranda yeah. based that musical on yeah. so um i started it and and didn't finish i the, his it's enormous his book on grant i flew through if you want a great read oh really his book on grant is just a treasure and very praising and really contemporary <laughs> lots of uh federal solutions to to buffoonery and mm-hmm. racist assholes, you know, going on oh, in that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay. No judgment on racist assholes, but you know, they're racist um, assholes. I think it's okay to judge <laughs> racist assholes. I'm just gonna go out on a limb. But we might lose some listeners. <laughs> I'm okay not having anything I say be enjoyed by racists. <laughs> I don't know if that's an unpopular opinion to have had enough bargaining with racist assholes I, I believe was the quote earlier in the in the <laughs> episode yes. if only more people in this country said that too <laughs> well we cut to the deck of a cruiser we see Rosh T with R2 and all the Jedi from the episode Rosh T who is the overseer of the Tegrutans I thank you Jedi and the Republic for saving our lives Ahsoka is the real hero without her creativity I don't think we would have gotten your people to safety. It was I, I like for as much of a dingus as as Anakin is. Yeah, feels always very quick to defer to her. Like he's never like he. There's never a moment where he's arrogant and wants to assume credit for the thing. He's always so quick to say it was not me. It was her. It's worth noting this because I'm releasing Weapons Factory the episode tomorrow and. You'll remember that at the beginning, it's the scene where Anakin and Ahsoka are communicating to some of the leaders of the 501st, and Anakin keeps man-rupting her as she's giving this presentation. Yeah. This bridge is our first waypoint. Focus your fire on the gun emplacements here and here, because it's only- Because it's only after we neutralize the guns that we can push for the factory. I was, yes. Anything else, Ahsoka? No. I think you've pretty much covered everything in my briefing. Very well. Squad dismissed. This is him growing. They at least have some space for Anakin Skywalker to grow over the course of a few seasons, and perhaps this is this is one of those places, yeah? Yeah. Is that the official term, man-terrupting? Is that, <laughs> do, we, do we pair that along with mansplaining? We, we did. It was, uh, That's awesome. I remember the stat. It was something like Washington... Uh, no, Georgetown University had done a study that men interrupt women 33% more than they interrupt other men. 
Now, Ugh. they are still interrupting other men, but it just happens a whole lot more frequently right? with females. But did they use the term man-terrupting? Man-terrupting, yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? That's awesome, as I man-terrupt you to <laughs> ask that question. But the opposite here, yeah? Uh, elevating someone else, and rightly so. Yeah. I think it does show. I think she is one of the few people that he, even though he's not able to express it well, she's clearly one of the few people that he truly, truly respects. Yeah. Indeed. Parawantano, might I have a word in private? Of course. Takes her aside. Ashoka, you have done a great deed for your people today. Ahsoka, again, love everything about this. She is not embracing connection with, with her people. And she turns that emotion that you are worthy of honor, You've been called a Jedi by your people. You've been elevated as a savior figure. And she says... You're sad. It's not. She is standing at arm's length from a, from a lie of this, even though Anakin even is saying it's her. You're sad. And Rashti says... Well, you and the Jedi have done your best. But I do not think our people will recover from this horror anytime soon. Her empathy comes across here. Her empathy comes across at the end of the Siege of Mandalore when she takes Rex's helmet off and he's crying. And we are getting to enjoy another empathetic character who we do not know yet is if they're Force-sensitive or not with uh, Omega. And the, mm. the elevation of empathy in terms of, let, let me identify the real problem, and let's yeah, talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's coming out in her. She's able to see it in, in her people. And again, just one of the many things that don't go right, <laughs> she's never able to actually get Anakin to see his own suffering and pain that keeps him enslaved and, and actually do the therapeutic work that she's doing right here, you know? It's also the comment of, I don't know if our people will ever recover from that. Like, that's... Yep. Big. That's such a that's such a smart, quick way to say like putting people into slavery. There are effects far you know like enslaving other beings. There are lasting lasting effects from that that never go away yeah. and and just and hurt and problems and pain and disconnect that that creates that that. Um, <laughs> echoes throughout the galaxy i guess to be a little dramatic but like that's no that's, that you, you never you never move away from something that awful man my family never really you never fix it my family our culture is experiencing legit trauma from having to stay inside and watch movies for a year you know <laughs> and for, for only a year and when you hear this word it's it's rightly placed here and we've talked about this in the past that sometimes they add just a little bit too much to some of the ends of these episodes. This is a huge word from a former slave. I don't think our people are ever going to recover from this horror. Like the, it may not be worth really just pushing positive too quickly. That, that's something to really sit in for a minute. Yeah. What does this look like? 
because I, uh, to be honest, I think my only critique of a lot, well, not my only critique, a, a noteworthy critique of this episode is how the positive spin kind of works here because she says, I understand, but in the end, surviving this will only strengthen the people. I do think that's her character. I do think that she is the sort of character who wants to strengthen others to even exert her own power on their own on their behalf so that they can elevate. This is a this is a Nietzsche line is what it is. It's whatever kill me what whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Mm-hmm. I don't know that's a healthy position all the time. It's an interesting well, thought, but and and feels very much like a societal reaction to to people who still want to talk about how their cultures are impacted by slavery. There it's it like, is. yeah, but not now, right? Like everything's yes. good now. Like look at all the stuff you can do and look how great things are and like it's cool, right? 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 That's the trap that going down this path lands you in. And of course that should be their critique of this episode in part is man, you get, you you're exposing so much, but I don't know that you're I think you're spinning to solutions that are really complicated in in a very yeah, quick dangerous. and dismissive way. Yeah. Agreed. Perhaps. And perhaps the people of Kiros will also join the Republic. I think that's a wise choice, Governor. Cut to credits. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the kind of feeling at the end there is like, oh, okay. I mean, I suppose, I suppose that's what it was all about. You know, that's the journey for the people, and they got rescued, and now, you know, the Jedi have earned these people's faithfulness because of the good deeds they've done. Well, I think it does show... Man, I hope what I'm about to say doesn't un- undo everything else I've said, but I think it does kind of show that in, in positions of... In very extreme situations, when you choose to not take a side and choose to do nothing, you're going to get eaten up by the awful thing that's happening. Yeah. And I think that is, to a degree, what happened a little bit here, where it's like, no, 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 we choose not to get involved and we choose not to take a side. And you're going to be ill-equipped and unprepared when the horrible thing shows up at your front door. So I guess to a degree, that ending makes sense. Yeah. That they've realized that, oh, we're unable to be neutral because this affects everybody. We've we've seen how it affects us. Yeah. I, I suppose that is, I, I may be going to go dark and obviously reading in the experiences of friends of mine, my friends' families, the long history uh, of our country that has experienced enslaved people in all of its ramifications, economically, personally, emotionally, physically, and how it still is just a cancer. Yeah, just a deep groove dug into psyche. <laughs> like the, I can't tell the Tegrutans the meaning of their pain. Only they can tell you the meaning of their pain. And so if it's the case that the people yeah. collectively can say, we are going to take this experience and this is how it's going to form us and our future, that is entirely theirs to do. And so I suppose the Star Wars creators, since they've created these characters in the first place, can do that. That's what I feel like they're trying to do with this ending. I could yeah. totally be wrong, but that's that's how it came off to me that they are were shooting for. Yeah. I think that's right. And if I'm wrong, they can come on this show and uh, explain <laughs> we it. We would love to, to hear their yeah. opinions. <laughs> yeah. That's not a challenge. It's an invite. The, pro- the problem might be that this is the easy 
band-aid solution to talking to other peoples who have been enslaved and saying, well, of course, this is the answer for everybody. And that might be a, a, a dire misstep, right? Oh, yeah. And it's the and it's that we have to do a quick button to a 20 minute episode of television. Yeah. Unfortunately, not not episodic TV, despite what the late 90s and early 2000s told us, cannot solve massive issues in 25 to 30 minutes. Yes. Yeah. Good word. I, I could step on the ending, but that's a great that's a great that's a great <laughs> note. In terms of its place in the binge, the thing that was most important to me, especially kind of moving this from season four really up chronologically in a lot of the stuff we're doing, is I really wanted to see Anakin's wrestling with slavery. I really wanted to see Ahsoka's development into not a preteen, but into a middle teen, even late teen warrior who has... To a young adult. Yeah, who has something to offer. And I want to see her goodness as being kind of core to the narrative moving forward. Cause that that's going to come into play a handful of times. Totally. Um, this is also just a great episode to showcase more of the world, more of how the clone wars actually works, that these two armies are appear to be fighting over people groups and their allegiances. And this one really hits that hard. Um, we've obviously shown a few arcs or episodes like ambush that go down that path, but yeah, it's just good foundational storytelling for all the things that's to come. And I suppose lastly, the Anakin Ahsoka connection, it's not heavy handed at all, but you see it and you could all, you can almost miss it if you were just kind of telling these stories, but the emotion that they give one another throughout this is so valuable when we see conflict in the future. Yeah, and I agree. I completely agree. Bang. Well, those were, I suppose, my last words on the episode. you got any last words? Don't put people into slavery. That's my <laughs> last. Those are my final words. Don't be racist and don't try to enslave large people groups. And don't create self-replicating robots. These were That's right. the lessons that we learned about all of science fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just life. Don't be racist. Don't put people into slavery. Not self-replicating robots. <laughs> Well, next time, we're going to start the final arc in Act 1 of our binge. We're going to conclude with four episodes focused on Asajj Ventress. Yes. And this will also be the last episode where we survey from Season 1. It's going to be Episode 16 of Season 1 called The Hidden Enemy. This is a great standalone with many of the images that we see popularly from the Clone Wars. They really put a lot of their best artwork into this in terms of what they were doing in that first season and it's commonly referenced in many of the opening narrations that we are going to see throughout you know the the binge in the clone wars because of its beauty Um, we're then going to jump to season three episodes 12 13 and 14 and conclude with the night sisters arc which is which for many of us feels real different from Star Wars. We're going to bring in some magic. Uh, Space witches. Right? It's kind of like when Doctor Strange shows up in Marvel and you're like, oh, I didn't realize oh. that this was kind of part of how this world worked. Which is weird because we had Scarlet Witch. Like, granted, not to the extent we had her in WandaVision, but it was just odd to me the amount of people were like, whoa, witchcraft. And there's a character called Scarlet Witch. 
The introduction to our binge list, by the way, can be found linked to our Twitter handle, which is aptly named at Star Wars Binge. And as with all podcasts, this one's only going to survive if you share it with folks. Um, again, I think I say this every time, but it means so much. If you just share this with one other person, it is massive for us in terms of just having the energy, enthusiasm, and resources to do this podcast. Music is by all the folks. This episode's created by the fine artists at Lucasfilm, who we love. And if you've gotten this far, we would love for you to give us some stars or a review on iTunes. He's Daniel Mothershed. But I do not think our people will recover from this horror anytime soon. <laughs> and I'm Jeff Cook. I'm no Jedi. But I do prefer to throw glowing spears from across the room in a heated vengeance in order to establish my dominance and showcase that you don't mess with me or the Republic or anybody that I care about. And you know why, Daniel? This is the way. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> be- because, because this is the way? Because this is the way. <laughs> Although it's not because I'm a pacifist, as I say almost every episode as well. <laughs> Droids have souls. We really like Anthony Hopkins and Jeff's a pacifist. Yeah. <laughs> and don't create self-replicating robots or be a racist asshole. And don't put people into slavery. Boom. <laughs> Nailed it. Grand Army of the Republic broadcast, the voice of the Outer Rim.